from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, the National Prayer Breakfast was virtual this morning. We know now we must confront and defeat political extremism, white supremacy, and domestic terrorism. For so many in our nation, this is a dark, dark time. That was President Joe Biden. Of course, like the rest of the Democrats, he did mention the left's burning and looting of America's cities, which, by the way, is still going on. We'll talk about the president's message as well as the Senate's focus today and tomorrow on the budget reconciliation measure, which is the vehicle that Democrats have chosen to carry the president's $1.9 trillion blue state bailout. Mississippi Senator Roger Wicker will join me to talk about all of that and more. And speaking of the Senate, yesterday, Kentucky Senator Rand Paul questioned the Biden administration's nominee for the Secretary of Education, Miguel Cardona. From what planet are you from? I mean, to think it's okay that boys would compete with girls in a track meet, that that somehow would be fair. We'll talk about it with the author of a bill in the House of Representatives designed to protect women's sports. Florida Congressman Greg Stubbe joins me for that conversation. Expect uh, the public schools to become even more hostile to those who refuse to embrace the left's hyper-sexualization under the Biden administration. But, but, parents and students have rights. And guess what? When they stand up, they often prevail. And many benefit as a result. We'll talk about this with uh, Keisha Russell from First Liberty. This is a good story. You'll like it. And uh, we've been talking about it, and we'll talk about it some more. Election reform, it is primarily a state issue, and guess what? Your help is needed. We'll talk about it with Hans von Spakowski, Senior Fellow at uh, Heritage Foundation. So get ready. Pencil and paper in hand. we got notes for you to take. The website, TonyPerkins.com. And uh, by the way, if you missed last night's Pray Vote Stand, you can catch it. It was really good. Had Congressman Ken Buck, Dr. Jim Garlow. It's at PrayVoteStand.org. And next Wednesday night, mark this down, 7.30 p.m., Pray Vote Stand's first town hall meeting. It'll be live. It'll be at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Gary, Pastor Gary Hamrick and Mike Ferris with ADF will be joining me again at 730 next Wednesday night. They pray vote stand town hall the way forward. Mark your calendars. All right. The Senate is engaged in what has become known as a voterama. And as the Senate takes up a budget reconciliation measure, which allows for hundreds of amendments to be offered. That's where it got its name. They'll just be voting back to back. Uh, late into uh, tomorrow night, probably. Now, the reconciliation measure is being used because it is uh, technically a reconsideration of the budget and allows for it to be amended and passed with only 51 votes, avoiding the 60-vote threshold that is required to consider a bill, to take up a bill, or to close debate. Um, So Republicans are planning on offering a number of amendments, including measures on the sanctity of human life. Joining me now to talk about all of this is U.S. Senator Roger Wicker of Mississippi. He serves on the Senate Committee on Commerce, Science, and Transportation, is also the author of a number of these pro-life bills. Senator, welcome back to the program. Tony, good to be with you. There's a lot at stake this week. Uh, There's a lot at stake in general, not just this week. I think for the next year, two years, uh, there's a lot at stake. But you're absolutely right uh, with this budget reconciliation bill. But before we get into that, uh, I know you uh, you you watched the the president at the prayer breakfast this morning. His remarks are very short. Um, What were your thoughts? It's 
it's a good uh, it's a good thing to have uh, every year and uh, 60 straight years from from Eisenhower now through Biden uh, the president has always shown up regardless of, of party um, I, I think there was a, a little more of a partisan um, tone to his remarks but um, you, you know at I, I wasn't. Uh, I, I wasn't nearly as upset with uh, with that as as with uh, what he's been doing with all these executive orders and and uh, with the the uh, two trillion dollars he's trying to spend this week. Well, I mean, but actually, in his remarks this morning, he talked about we'll be judged not by our words but our works as well. And when he said that, I was thinking about exactly what you just mentioned: his executive orders, which um, I mean. It's it's amazing to me how the media just attacked Donald Trump in his first week. He had four uh, executive orders. Uh, Joe Biden had 24. Um, he has already, I think, surpassed what Donald Trump had in his first 100 days. He had 36 executive orders. Um, and most of these are undoing uh, everything that uh, Trump did and what uh, a, a majority of Americans support. For instance, something you've been involved in, uh, you have a bill in the Senate uh, no taxpayer funding of abortion bill. What he did by executive order is forced all Americans to become partners with uh, globe, the uh, the global abortion industry through repealing the uh, Mexico City executive order. Yes, that's the Mexico City provision. And uh, if you ever really wonder if there's difference between the two parties, when a Republican president takes office, uh, we reinstate the Mexico City policy, which basically says, regardless of whether you're uh, pro-life or pro-choice, the taxpayer, the American taxpayer doesn't have to have his, uh, his or her tax money spent funding organizations internationally that promote abortion and, and provide abortions. And uh, it's, a, it's a, been a pretty clear difference down through the decades between, between uh, Republicans and Democrats. And this is what you get. Uh, when when you elect a Democrat uh, like Barack Obama or Joe Biden. Well, Senator Wicker, they're, they're not drawing the line just with uh, international promotion of abortion. They're wanting to do it here as well by eliminating the Hyde Amendment. That's right. And the Hyde Amendment is something that Republicans and Democrats have been able to agree on year in and year out. Even with Nancy Pelosi was a speaker beforehand. Uh, back uh, for 40 years, we've had, uh, in, in dem um, under Democratic presidents and Republican presidents, we have had the Hyde Amendment, which says domestically taxpayer money isn't spent to provide abortions. And um, you know, just when you think you've seen it all, uh, here comes... Um, Joe Biden is the new Democratic president and says we need to overturn 40 years of bipartisan consensus that regardless of how you feel about the sanctity of life, you shouldn't force American taxpayers like Tony Perkins and Roger Wicker, who are pro-life, to spend their money paying for abortions that take a human life. That's something that if, if Joe Biden succeeds – and the Democratic majorities in the House and Senate succeed in changing that, it, it will be uh, um, a sea change 
in in consensus yeah. that we've had for a long, it, long time. It will. And, and what's interesting, and we've talked about it here on this program, is Joe Biden, when he was a senator, supported the Hyde Amendment. Uh, it shows you where the Democratic Party has gone on this issue. I mean, you're from Mississippi, you know, Tony, I'm from Louisiana. Most of the Democrats that I served with when I was in office back in the state legislature were pro-life. That's changed. The party is driving it. There is a polarization that's taking place, and I think the parties are driving a lot of it. And it's taken place at a time when when more and more Americans are becoming pro-life yes, you're because right. more and more Americans pay attention to the science, to the sonograms. For most grandparents, and I'm a grandparent seven times now and with another on the way, that the first picture of their grandchild uh, is the right. sonogram picture, yeah. which, which shows – uh, but, but, but wait a minute, a Senator. Human form and the, and the beating heart. But, Senator, we're told the Democrats are the party of science. That's right. It, uh, that's right. It, uh, there's, you know, I, I, I coined a phrase which didn't get very far. Plino Democrats, Plino Democrats, pro-life in name only. Uh, you, you have a few that run as Democrats. You know, Casey uh, from Pennsylvania, even Harry Reid used to tell me he's pro-life. He's personally pro-life. Right. But uh, that when it comes down to a vote, they are lockstep. Yeah, even Not more so pro-abortion, but also pro-taxpayer funding of abortion. And, right. and honestly, we, we've got some legislation. I want to make the Hyde Amendment permanent, and I will offer that again. But we've got some legislation that that says, um, um, you know, if you're born, if the child is born alive, they have a right to continue. Um, you know, even though the, an, uh, an abortion was attempted, right. uh, the child is born alive anyway. They have a right to stay alive. And, uh, and we remember how horrified America yeah. was when Virginia Governor Northam said uh, the child should be kept comfortable. But that's it. Um, it's amazing that the Democrats have moved farther and farther away from pro-life when more and more Americans are willing to say they are pro-life. Right. Well, we just saw the baby and the heart beating in the womb. Right. And, and of course, back to your point on the funding of it, uh, just uh, two weeks ago, there was a by-election. Actually, it was last week. 55% of Democrats oppose the funding for foreign abortion. So uh, clearly the, uh, the the Democratic leadership is moving way beyond even where their own party is on this issue. Now, coming up on this Voterama, it's going to be taking place today and tomorrow. You mentioned uh, the Born Alive bill. There, there's most likely going to be a vote on that. I hope we get a vote on that, and we're entitled to a vote on that. We We will at some point... In the wee hours of some morning, we will get exhausted and and uh, yield back the time. But I hope before that occurs, we'll get a vote. Well, it's going to be interesting. Legislation, uh, which which protects children uh, who survive attempted abortions. Right. But it's going to be very interesting with this divided Senate, fifty-fifty. The vice president casting the deciding vote. Everybody's going to have to be there for these votes. True, and it could all have been avoided. Um, the, uh, the 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 new president's finest hour turns out to have been his first hour, where he made a speech about unity and and working together. Uh, there, there's been no hint of that since the inaugural 
address. But Republicans have gone to the new president to propose a compromise that doesn't spend nearly as much money and, and to address this pandemic in the way we addressed it almost unanimously with Democrats and Republicans on five occasions during the last year of the Trump administration. On five occasions, Republicans and Democrats got together, the last time being um, in, in December, and and agreed on something bipartisan. Uh, but this new president, who has uh, uh, said that bipartisanship will be his byword, is the first example during the pandemic of basically saying, um, take it or leave it. I think he said trillion dollars, take it or leave it, in spite of the fact that the CBO came out this week, Tony, and said the economy is doing far better than anyone expected right. by by mid year this year. GDP will be back where it was pre pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think he said that was going to be his byword. I think he said goodbye to the word bipartisan. <laughs> Senator, great to have you on. Thanks so much Thank for you. joining us today. You bet. All right, Senator Roger Wicker of uh, Mississippi. Rand Paul says, bizarre, having uh, men in women's sports. We're going to talk with uh, Congressman Greg Stubbe, who has a measure in the House to protect women's sports. That's coming up next here on this edition of Washington Watch. Don't miss it. We'll be right back. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible, and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. In our time, North Korea remains one of the world's most mysterious countries. Unfortunately, what we do know about North Korea indicates the country is also one of the world's worst abusers of human rights, including violations of religious freedom. The North Korean regime has engaged in an intense crackdown on religion for decades. Today, few religious believers remain, and those who do face grave danger. The secretive nature of the regime, nicknamed the Hermit Kingdom, makes it difficult for American leaders to address these human rights issues. Yet, even though options are limited, the gravity of the situation calls on Western countries to take every action possible to relieve the suffering of the North Korean people, a people who have no chance of speaking up for themselves. To learn more about this important issue, check out FRC's publication titled North Korea, the World's Foremost Violator of Religious Freedom. To access the information you need to stay informed, including a list of policy proposals, go to frc.org 
slash North Korea. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain, and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Hey, you want to stay in uh, in touch with us, text the word STAND to 67742. That's 67742, the word STAND. That way you don't have to worry about social media cutting us off. Uh, you'll be in touch with us. All right, as I mentioned yesterday, the um, Senate entertaining, or, or actually a hearing, it was entertaining, a hearing for the Biden administration, Secretary of Education, Miguel Cardona. And Ron, Rand Paul uh, began to really ask him about something that's on most Americans' minds when it comes to what is happening with the president and the push by Democrats of transgendering our schools. I want you to listen to this uh, this clip. A little, it's a more extended clip than I played earlier of Rand Paul and his exchange with Dr. Cardona. Do you worry about having boys running girls' track meets? You know, I, I recognize and appreciate the concerns um, and the uh, frustrations that are expressed. I've, as Commissioner of Education, have had conversations with families uh, who have felt the way you just described it and families of uh, students who are transgender. So I understand that this is a challenge. I look forward to working with you and others to... Do you think it's fair to have boys running in the girls' track, mate? I think it's appropriate for, it's, I think it's, it's the legal responsibility of schools to provide opportunities for students to uh, participate in activities, and this includes students who are transgender. So you don't have a problem then with boys running in the girls' track meets, swimming meets, name it. You're okay then with boys competing uh, with girls? Respectfully, Senator, I think I answered the question. I believe schools should offer the opportunity for students to engage in extracurricular activities even if they're transgender, I think that's their right. All right. A lot of us think that that's bizarre. I would be among them. That is bizarre. Join me now to talk about it, Florida Congressman Greg Stubbe. He represents the 17th Congressional District of Florida. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Yeah, thanks for having me. So is uh, Rand Paul correct? A lot of people think it's bizarre. I, I think bizarre is one way to put it. I, I, I mean, I would say it's a lot stronger. I would say it's dangerous. Because uh, not only are you going to have biological men competing with biological women, but, but they'll also be in the women's locker room. They'll be in the women's showers. They'll be in the women's facilities to get ready for the, the track meet as a biological male in some of these places. And uh, there are a lot of Democrats that obviously have problems 
with their daughters being in locker rooms and showers with biological men who the only requirement is that they identify as a woman that day to compete in whatever sport it is. So I'd take it a step farther and say it's dangerous not only to America and what is women's sports, but to our young girls who compete. And it's you know we're talking about track here, but it's not just track. We're talking about every sport that uh, women compete in. Yeah, it's it's everything. I mean, it's I mean, you heard Ron Paul kind of talk about swimming, and it, it's everything. And and when we dealt with this last year in the Judiciary Committee, a lot of the instances I I brought up was UFC fighting, boxing. Uh, one of the examples I gave was a biological male who was quote unquote identifying as a woman and was in a female boxing match and broke the eye socket of the woman boxer. You have people like uh, Navratilova and other tennis people that say this is going to completely demolish all of the Title IX protections that we have had for women's sports because we have created them specifically for women to compete. Bizarre, dangerous, but also, as I was talking earlier with uh, Senator Wicker about the science of the life issue, there's science here that says men and women are different. They're different physiologically. They're different physically. Uh, and it does make it dangerous because men and women are different. Yeah, and, and I went through all that last year in the hearing when I tried to file an amendment to take this out of what they called the Equality Act last year that the Democrats called that passed through the House was to 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 look at the actual science. It is uncontroversial that men are stronger. They are bigger. They can compete because of the different hormones and the muscle size that men have over women. That is a scientific fact. And uh, to, to just ignore that, if that's so-called the Democrats are the party of science, just shows you that this is 100 percent a political agenda for them. This is a political item for them and they don't care about women's sports because if they did care about women's sports they wouldn't allow biological men to compete against women and these i mean think about college students wanting to get or high school students wanting to get college scholarships for athletics they now have to compete against biological men for that scholarship for track at the university of florida and and that's what these these actions that have been taken by the democrats are now putting biological men in women's sports, and they're taking those opportunities from these young women. How is that fair? Exactly. It's not fair at all. I think it's even beyond the politics. I think it's deconstruction uh, at its heart of Western civilization. But you have uh, you have a measure. You're not giving up on this. You're continuing to fight. What's the what's the way forward here? Yeah, we have filed another bill. Um, obviously, I'm not optimistic in a democratically controlled house that this bill is going to move. But I feel very confident. The Republicans are going to take the House back in 2022, so this bill will be teed up. I'm still on the Judiciary Committee. That's the committee of reference. That would be the bill that would move this this bill through the process. And this bill would just make it abundantly clear that a, a biological man cannot compete in Title IX sports. And if they do, that school that takes Title IX money, which all colleges and universities do, would lose their federal funding. In the meantime, uh, Congressman, the good news is that states are not going to wait. They're going to move forward. We have states moving forward with these measures now saying, you know, what is this nonsense? They're going to protect women's sports. So through the leadership of uh, congressmen like you that are making this an issue, it is giving impetus to the efforts at the state level. So we uh, we applaud you for the efforts and uh, look forward to seeing it progress, if not in this Congress, in the next. Absolutely. I thank you for your time.
All right, uh, Congressman Greg Stubbe, thanks so much for being with us. Find out more about his bill. Go to TonyPerkins.com, and you can follow the links over. This is nonsense, absolutely nonsense. Uh, well, I, 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 that's actually that, that's uh, too nice of a description. I, I, I go back to what I said. This is an intentional effort at deconstructing human sexuality, morality, and with it, Western civilization. This, this is devious. It is dangerous, and uh, we have to stop it. And and, and so uh, get behind those efforts at the states, and they're going to move through more and more states. All right, when we come back, you stand up for your rights, you often prevail. We're going to be talking with First Liberty next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. The history of religious persecution in China is extensive, and many are not aware of the current oppression of religious groups taking place there. China restricts religious practice and oppresses religious minorities on a sweeping scale. This religious persecution targets those of every faith. Christians, Muslims, Tibetan Buddhists, and Falun Gong practitioners are all victims of the Chinese Communist Party's efforts to suppress any set beliefs that might compete with the party's ideology. This campaign against religion has had and continues to have devastating consequences for those who simply wish to live according to their conscience. Family Research Council's recently updated publication addresses China's consistent abuses of human rights and explains why they cannot be treated like any other country. Learn more about this issue by visiting frc.org slash China. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, I definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? Tony Perkins, and this is Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com, a topic we're going to be visiting quite often, among many other topics, is uh, what's happening in our education system in public schools, especially under this administration. They've, they've, they've always been bad for the last 15 years in particular, but there is an intentional effort in this administration to uh, transgender our schools all the way down to elementary school, up through high school, college. Um, we were just talking about the sports, but it, it doesn't stop there. But here's, here's the good news. As a parent 
And as a student, you have rights. And fortunately, we've got organizations out here that that's all they do. They are looking out for your rights, your religious freedoms, which are so critical. That's in the crosshairs of the left. And First Liberty is one of those entities. that you, They're on the program quite a bit because they're out there doing the work. And this is a school in Illinois. That It's the Illinois Mathematics and Science Academy that had a policy that was forcing kids to go through this sexualization program, is all I can call it. And a student said, uh, Markel McBride said, I, I can't do it. It violates my faith, my religious beliefs. And they said no. But Markel and her family stood up, and with the help of First Liberty, just today, just today, in fact, just hours ago, got word that the school was in retreat. Joining me now to talk about this, Keisha Russell, counsel at First Liberty Institute. Keisha, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me on. Congratulations uh, in you know, just sending a letter out stating the facts. You, uh, you helped this student preserve her religious freedom there in Illinois. Yeah, it's definitely a great victory. And as a former teacher, I love helping students and standing up for their religious liberty rights. So, you know, we just really just tried to lay out the law very clearly and succinctly to the school and let them know that not only does Illinois law allow parents to decide the sexual education of their children, uh, meaning they're allowed to opt out of sexual education, but also the Illinois Religious Freedom Restoration Act says that the school has to accommodate the students and her parents. And you know, I mean, it's a shame that it had to take lawyers getting involved in order for the school to relent. But, you know, we're certainly grateful that they did and the students very happy um, with the accommodation. So, you know, we're grateful. Well, before we move on to 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 expound upon that aspect of um, getting the lawyers involved, I, I want you to go back and just give the I, I know I laid out some of the facts, but if I missed anything, just let our listeners know exactly what took place, what this student was going to be mm-hmm. required to do. So the school had uh, or has a uh, mandatory sexual it's called sexuality and gender program and um, there's a lot of you know sexual topics involved in that program and you know it was required that the students go through it in November and in November the parents at the school you know written notice that said look we don't feel comfortable with our daughter going through this uh, we'd like you to uh, exempt her from this program and you know our religious beliefs say that we're supposed to dedicate you know um, upbring our own child um, and we'd like to be the only ones talking to her about sexuality, et cetera. And the school pushed back and pushed back. And, you know, after several emails back and forth, I mean, the parents really tried to work this out with the school. Um, and ultimately, after months of denial, they ended up turning to First Liberty and saying, look, can you help us? Because now um, only, you know, within the same you know few days that they contacted us, the school said, look, we're going to have a disciplinary hearing for Mark Hale, and that hearing was supposed to take place today at 4 p.m. Central. And, um, you know, they said, look, we don't know what to do now. And so we went ahead and sent the school uh, the letter, and um, now that, you know, the disciplinary hearing obviously is canceled for today. So it's, it's, a, it's a great victory for the student. But not only for this particular student, uh, Keisha, but by by them standing up, by this student and her parents standing up and say, wait a minute, no, we, we have rights. We're going to exercise those rights. I know that the, uh, the, the school wanted to steamroll them, as they often do. Uh, mm-hmm. But as a result of this, others will benefit because I think the, the school will be 
uh, more sensitive next time that a parent raises objections. Absolutely. That's definitely our hope. And it's one of the things that we use to encourage the parents and students, because you have to know it's very difficult to, you know, talk about these things publicly because um, you never know what kind of backlash you're going to face or, right. you know, a young per- person like Markel is going to face. And, you know, not only does it encourage the school to take, a, you know, a closer look at accommodations like this, but it also, I think, gives other parents and students more courage, you know, to stand up to their schools uh, when things like this arise and they, you know, don't want to participate. So, you know, I, you know, I even told Markel, you know, you standing up for yourself, it makes other students just like you want to do the same. And it's one of the, the reasons why I absolutely love defending uh, students in religious liberty cases because it's so important, you know, that they yes. get their voices out there too. Well, and courage breeds courage. So if uh, the student and her parents uh, have the courage to stand in the face of, you know, especially the cancel culture we live in today, mm-hmm, it does exactly. encourage others. And that's the whole purpose of the cancel culture, to keep us from standing up and defending those rights. Uh, Keisha, thanks so much for joining us. And, uh, again, appreciate all the work that First Liberty does. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us on. Absolutely. Uh, Keisha Russell, counsel at uh, First Liberty Institute, again, so grateful for them, Alliance Defending Freedom, Liberty Council, uh, those groups that are out there defending religious freedom that increasingly is, as I said, in the crosshairs of the left. Okay, don't go away, because uh, when we come back on the other side of the break, we're going to talk about another topic we've been talking a lot about, and we're going to continue to talk about it because it's important. It's the issue of election reform. We're going to be talking about some very practical steps that states can take and how you can be involved in it just by speaking to your legislators about these practical steps. All right, coming back after the break. Don't go away. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day. Listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins to get honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world. Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday on over 800 radio stations across the country. Or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Representative Vicki Hartzler, Molly Hemingway, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Dana Lash, Sissy Graham Lynch, Pastor John MacArthur, Eric Metaxas, Albert Moeller, and more. Tony is joined by leading political figures, pastors, and policy and culture experts who will inspire you to be engaged and informed on the important issues facing America. For a Christian perspective on the news of the day, tune in to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Ever since the Supreme Court handed down its infamous Roe v. Wade decision in 1973 that legalized abortion nationwide, a national debate has raged over whether the government should fund abortion. In 1976, Congress banned taxpayer funding of abortion and Medicaid by passing the Hyde Amendment. Several states have followed suit, passing their own restrictions on abortion funding. However, Because government funding is a complex system of joint federal and state programs, completely banning taxpayer funding for abortions and abortion businesses like Planned Parenthood is challenging. There is still much work to be done to free the American taxpayer from funding the horrific practice of abortion. Family Research Council's new publication, 
clearly explains the Hyde Amendment and why we need to keep it in order to save taxpayers from being forced to fund abortion. Access this important information by visiting frc.org slash Hyde. What's on your daily or weekly reading list? Are you looking for honest and informative commentary from fellow believers on the current issues facing our culture? Family Research Council has just the thing. Check out FRC's blog at frcblog.com. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts as well as outside contributors. On our blog, you can read about a wide variety of topics, including religious liberty, life, marriage, family, sexuality, public policy, and the culture. Read up on some of our latest titles like Four Disturbing Trends in Religious Freedom Worldwide, Legitimizing Looting Jeopardizes Liberty for All, The Media Still Doesn't Get It, Conservatives Tend to Vote Conservative, and more. At Family Research Council, our mission is to advance faith, family, and freedom in the culture by helping you live out your faith and to stand for truth. Our blog is here to help you do that. Stay informed and get the resources you need at frcblog.com. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. To stay in touch with us, text the word STAND to 67742. That's 67742. And also, let me again remind you, mark your calendars next Wednesday night, the first Pray Vote Stand Town Hall meeting, The Way Forward. We'll be live 7.30 Eastern Time at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary Hamrick will be joining me. President and CEO of ADF, Mike Ferris, will be there with me as well. And we'll be taking your questions. It's interactive. So, again, mark your calendars. Pray vote stand town hall meeting next Wednesday night, a way forward. All right, we've been talking about it. We're going to continue to talk about it because I think it is, I think it's the most important issue going into the 2022 election, the 2024 election, and that is election reform. And I, I've spoken about this on the program before. I, I go back to my experience in 1996 as a campaign manager for U.S. Senate race, the year after I was elected to office, in which we experienced voter irregularities and fraud. And the laws did not allow us to challenge it within, uh, we had like three days, maybe five at the most. We couldn't get all the information together. We took it to the U.S. Senate who was the final arbiter, and they didn't have the backbone for the fight. But we came back, um, and a number of us in the next two years reformed our election laws in my state of Louisiana. And guess what happened? Um, not only have we not had any major voter fraud, I mean, there's there's been some in pockets, but not statewide. And we went from a state that was blue with one statewide elected Republican to a state now where we only have one statewide Democrat. This state continues to trend red. Because why? Because elections are free and fair. Well, this is something states need to be involved in, and you have a role to play in it. Joining me now to talk about this, Hans von Spakowski. He is a senior legal fellow at Heritage Foundation and basically has put together a to-do list on how we reform the elections uh, at the systems at the state level. Hans, welcome back to the program. Tony, thanks for having me back. Okay, let's talk about this. You've put together a uh, basically a checklist of ways that states can ensure that their elections are free and fair and people can have confidence in the results. Yeah, it's a list of best 
practices recommendations. And um, look, I came up with this list based on a lot of years of experience in this area, and not just looking at election fraud and problems, but having been a county election administrator in two different states. Uh, and, but I also consulted with a lot of election experts on this. And so we came up with this list that we think would fix many of the problems and many of the vulnerabilities that we particularly saw in the last election. All right, let's start with the list. Let's start at the top. Verify the accuracy of voter registration list. People would say, well, you mean that's not being done? <laughs> no, it's, it's not. Uh, I mean, there are so many basic things that states and counties could be doing and aren't doing. And I'll just give you one quick example of it. It, it, It's just such an easy fix, and yet it's not being done. Look, um, we actually have a problem with people not registering where they live. In in every Mm -hmm. state, you have to register at your residential address. But um, a study that I saw caught people registering uh, at commercial addresses, uh, pawn shops, casinos in Nevada, et cetera, that's an indication of, of fraud going on. Well, um, look, this is an easy thing to solve. What is the one big priority of county governments in every state in the country? It's collecting property taxes, right? That's how they right. fund everything. Their county tax department have detailed information on every single property in the county for tax reasons. Yet election officials... When somebody registers to vote, when somebody sends them a form saying, hi, I'm Joe Smith and I live at this address, they're not, they're not running that address over to the county tax department and saying, well, is this really a residential address? Is it a single-family home? Is it an apartment complex? Or is it a UPS store or a, sta- a, a county park? They're not doing something just as basic as that. To prevent That's an easy fix. Someplace. That's it, an, it easy an easy fix. fix. It's an easy fix. Um, but because, wait, but, but before, able, before, you, before you go on yeah. to that, but I want people to understand right. the significance of the problem is that you have voter rolls that people have registered and they've never been cleaned up. One of the issues we had right. back in 96, and I know this is one that you hear often, dead people voting. But, I mean, when somebody's been dead for 20 years and they're still on the voter rolls, you got a problem. Yes. And, and in fact, one of our recommendations is, is they... Is states ought to be on a very constant, regular basis um, doing data comparisons with the Social Security Administration's Master Death Index. So they, they, they keep a database of deaths across the U.S. They have to do it for Social Security purposes. And states ought to be checking that, not just relying on the vital records uh, uh, departments in their, their own state to try to find people who have died. Otherwise... For example, they they can't find people who maybe used to live in your state but died somewhere else. But then, now they won't have any problem finding you if you have if you owe taxes. Right. They'll, they'll, <laughs> they'll track you down. But when it comes to voting, they just can't seem to get it right um, in terms of cleaning up the voter rolls. Um, right. I want to go to the, the, the second one, which seems again these I mean these are so simple, but people need to realize they're not being done. Verify citizenship of voters. Yeah, and that's a real problem. I mean, we, we've got uh, we've got verified reports. We have cases from all over the country of people who are not U.S. citizens who are registering and voting. And the reason, of course, right now is that it's so easy for them to do it and not get caught. Uh, folks who have filled out a voter registration form know that there's actually they actually ask you that 
on the form, are you a U.S. citizen? You're supposed to check a box, yes or no. But if you are, if you are an alien and you check, yes, I'm a citizen, election officials don't do anything to actually check that information and verify that information. Contrast that with the fact that uh, under federal law, as you know, Tony, every employer in the country has to verify when they hire a new employee whether that person is a U.S. citizen or whether they are an alien who's here legally and has a work permit. And yet somehow people think, oh, we shouldn't be doing that with with voting. It's uh, astounding, uh, I guess the only way I can say it. Now, here's one that, that we actually used in Louisiana, which I think is one of the most significant steps, is requiring voter ID. Yeah, that is that is extremely important. It's not, you know, some people think that's the be all end all. It's not, but it's one of the most important steps. And what's most important is to extend it not just to in person voting, but these days it needs to also apply to absentee balloting. And that's that is very important, particularly. I think of the think of the difference that might have made in the last election. Right. Well, and that's your next item, limit absentee ballots. Yes. Um, look, nobody disputes that we need absentee ballots for people who are too, too sick, physically disabled, can't make it to the, to the polls on Election Day. But uh, it should be limited to folks who have a valid excuse like that. The reason being that they're the only kind of ballots that are voted outside the supervision of election officials and outside the observation of poll watchers. And that makes them vulnerable to being stolen, altered, and to voters being pressured in their homes to vote a particular way. And we've seen that happening in cases all over the place, including places like Texas and Mississippi and elsewhere. The the next item is preventing vote trafficking. Explain that one. Well, in, in every state, when you vote by absentee ballot, you can mail your ballot back. You can deliver it yourself in person. A member of your family can deliver it. And in most places, a designated caregiver. Unfortunately, in about half of the states, they've authorized anybody to come to your door to offer to deliver your ballot. And what does that mean? It means that you're putting something valuable, a ballot, into the hands of third-party strangers who could be campaign staffers, candidates, party activists, political consultants, all of them have a stake in the outcome of the election. And that gives them the opportunity to alter or change or maybe not deliver your ballot at all if they know that you regularly vote for folks of the opposition party. And so it's just not a good idea for any state to allow third-party strangers to pick up and deliver your ballot. Now, that, that's completely legal in the state of California. They legalized that once it the is. Democrats had a supermajority. Are there other states that allow that? Yes. Um, uh, there's a, about probably about two dozen states that allow it. And as you told me, you probably know, right now there's a bill being pushed through Congress right. by the Democrats, H.R. Right. 1, that would mandate that yeah. states allow vote traffic in, and it would override bans on it that certain states have. Yeah, I, what the Democrats in Washington are doing is just what they did in California when they seized control out there and got a supermajority. Yes. They, they, they moved to secure that majority forever by changing the election laws. Uh, all right, I don't want to run out of time here. 
uh, allow election observers complete access to the election process. Again, seems like that's pretty common sense. It is, but as you know, in the last election, we saw observers being shut out, being put so far away they couldn't see what was happening. And states need law punishing election officials who engage in that kind of behavior. You know, if they know they're subject to discipline, termination, possible civil fines, if they don't allow observers in, well, then perhaps we won't see the kind of behavior again that we saw uh, last fall. Yeah, and that was a big, big, big issue. Providing voting assistance. Yeah, look, there's no question some people need help when when they go to vote. They they may not speak English well. They may be illiterate. They may be physically disabled. But to avoid, once again, people being coerced and pressured and uh, otherwise told how to vote, anyone who assists a voter uh, should have to fill out a form produce a, an ID who, so that we know who they are, their identity, the reason they're getting the assistance, um, so that if there's a problem later on, uh, we know who did it. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I was going to say something. I was biting my tongue. People do need help voting. There's a, there's quite a few people out there that need help voting after this last election, it looks like. Um, <laughs> but that's another story. Uh, the prohibiting of early vote counting. Let's talk about that. Yeah, what's dangerous about that is is there there are moves afoot, including again in that bill being pushed through Congress, for states to start processing and counting votes uh, before election day. And of course, the problem with that is that the federal bill would require two weeks before election day to start. Is that look if that information on early returns is then right. leaked out, which it will be. Uh, which it will be. It could, uh, for example, you know, folks who work in election office could leak it to the losing candidate who might be of their political party. And that gives them uh, tactical and strategic information, say, oh, we're behind. And it's in these particular neighborhoods where the votes have been counted. We need to go out there and and to find people to vote or collect their absentee ballots to make sure they we can change the results of the election. Or it will send a message that, uh, oh, this guy so far ahead, we there's no sense, our, I don't need to go vote yes. for him. Um, so it discourages right. voter participation. Um, number, number nine is provide state legislatures with legal standing. Explain that. Well, one of the problems we had in the last election was uh, state officials, this happened in Pennsylvania, for example, basically uh, the Secretary of State and the governor there saying, well, uh, we're just not going to apply state law. And there, you know, they changed the deadline for the receipt of absentee ballots and just ignored state law. And um, many legislative officials and others who tried to do something about this had their cases dismissed for lack of standing. And what I'm recommending is that legislatures and, frankly, citizens ought to, by law, be given the ability to sue state officials who are not complying with state election laws. That, I think, is is quite significant because that has been at the basis of a lot of the issues surrounding this election where you had right. um, 
state officials who did not have the constitutional authority unilaterally making these uh, decisions. This clearly puts it back in the hands of the uh, legislature. All right, uh, Hans, we're almost out of time, but uh, one you didn't have on the list, but I, I think one that deserves discussing is allowing third parties to put money uh, into the hands of election officials to to aid them. For instance, we saw that uh, um, Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg of uh, Facebook right. fame, uh, gave $400 million, uh, 350 to this one nonprofit that uh, gave grants to local election um, commissions, and it was targeted to turn out vote in particular precincts. Well, uh, Asseton, I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, the, the article that I published about this at the Daily Signal was just a short summary of a much larger paper, uh, publication that we put out on Monday at the Heritage Foundation that contains a huge long list of recommendations. And one of the recommendations on there is the state legislature's ban county, local, state election officials from receiving any private funding because that inevitably brings up not only conflicts of interest, but the uh, possibility that people in some jurisdictions will be given a greater opportunity to vote than others. Yeah. Hans, uh, that music tells us we're out of time. I want to thank you for joining us. Great work. And we're going to encourage people to take your advice to heart and get busy. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. All right. Hans von Spakowski, to find out more about his article, go to TonyPerkins.com. And with that, you know what to do. Just keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 